Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Sunday Night Clinic. I want to go over the ground rules here with all of you first. Uh, we're lucky enough tonight to have Michigan head coach Eric Bakich on here. What a night. Uh, we're going to get to listen to him, talk about player development, talk about recruiting, talk about University of Michigan, and everything involving baseball. But I want to go over the ground rules here with you guys. As you guys can see at the bottom of your screen, there's a heart. And on that heart, it obviously has emojis. So if you like something that you hear somebody say, you can hit on the love sign. You can hit on the happy sign. You can hit on the peace sign. Whatever you want, it, you know, that might be something positive that you, you want to put up there. As always, I will ask the questions. Coach will answer them. And I will listen to what Coach has to say. I have a, a group of questions that I have written down for him. And... While he's answering those questions, if I write down something else that uh, I want to ask, I'll ask. If you have, if anyone has a question, as you guys know, I don't let speakers on unless I know you, because I want everything to be positive. I don't want anything negative to to become a part of these talks. So if you have a question, you can send me an instant message, and if I see it, I will get it and I will ask Coach. So. Welcome to Sunday Night Clinics. We are a form of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of athlete 911 players and families. And in cooperation with Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country in today's youth baseball environment. This conversation will be positive information to help you. Our agenda is to talk to help players and families grow in our great game. This form of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for you, the player, the family member, the youth in high school and college coaches that do listen to our show, a forum for all of us to grow as people and as coaches. Tonight, we are very fortunate to have Coach Eric Backich, the head coach at Michigan. Eric was announced as the 19th head coach in the history of Michigan baseball on June 27th of 2012. He's in his 10th season with this program. Coach was the consensus 2019 Coach of the Year as he guided Michigan's oldest sports program to a number one overall ranking in the top 25 polls, an NCAA runner-up finish. He's been a part of three NCAA tournament bids, a Big Ten conference title, and seven Big Ten tournament appearances, in which this year he will make that an eighth big tournament appearance as they go in as the number five seed. Uh, into their tournament this Wednesday, I think it is. During his time at the helm of the Michigan program, he's had 38 players selected in the Major League Baseball draft, along with 41 All-American selections, 57 Big Ten Conference team selections, one Big Ten Player of the Year, and 62 academic All-Big Ten selections. Very, very impressive. Coach, welcome to the clinic. Hey, Butch. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you as always. Uh, this is really cool what you're doing. I, I appreciate it and I'm privileged to uh, be a part of it and honored to do it. Thank you. We're, we're so honored to have you. Can you talk about a little bit about your background before you got to Michigan playing and as a coach? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try, try to keep that brief. Uh, it's very uneventful. Uh, but I uh, I grew up in California, Butch, played high school and junior college ball out there. Uh, got the life-changing experience to go to East Carolina University, play for the legendary Keith LeClaire at East Carolina. That really changed the trajectory of the path I was on. I uh, thought I was a business major, switched my major, knew I wanted to coach. He set me up with a volunteer coaching opportunity at Clemson for his mentor and who he played for in Jack Leggett. Uh, got really, really lucky. Talk about right place, right time. That staff at Clemson in 2002 was Jack Leggett, Tim Corbin, and Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, so I was just the sponge taking everything in. Uh, Coach Corbin gave me an opportunity to go with him to Vanderbilt that summer, the summer of 2002 and try to build something special with him, uh, which I jumped on. Was there for seven years, got the opportunity to be a, a head coach in the ACC at, at the University of Maryland. Uh, went there and, uh, you know, it was, it, was, 
it was tough. It was uh, humbling. It was, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, a lot of challenges, but it was maybe uh, some three years of some incredible growth uh, of just learning how to figure things out. And, you know, I wasn't ready. Uh, looking back, wasn't ready to be a head coach. I was 31, overmatched in a lot of ways. Uh, but it, uh, I'm very thankful for, you know, for uh, for that opportunity. And uh, ultimately, we, we started to figure some things out and turn the corner in year three. Uh, University of Michigan took notice and I've been at Michigan for 10 years now and uh, still climbing that mountain and and still figuring it out as always so I, I love listening to clinics like this and and anything to uh, to help uh, learn something grow in any type of a way and in this particular case happy to always share information and give back in any way I can as well that's awesome let me ask you this question. You said you were 31 years old. I think you said you didn't feel like you were probably really ready to be a head coach. What? When did your transformation happen, like three years later, and when you really felt like I can be a dude at what I'm doing? Uh, I don't know if I ever <laughs> felt that way, but, um, you know, it's uh, this game. This game has got a funny way of, you know, it, it – it doesn't reward you when you want it. It's not on your clock. Um, as I think everybody knows that, but, um, you know, we, uh, we reached the, the, uh, the mountaintop there in 2019, uh, playing for a national championship, but then, uh, you know, then, then life happens, the world happened and, you know, we're, we're now, we're, it feels like we're reclimbing that mountain again. Um, but I don't. I don't know if I, I would say there was one specific moment. Uh, but there, there was a time I do remember where I felt like I was trying to do too many things at once at the University of Maryland. I was trying to be the, the fundraiser, and the you know the lead donor or the lead uh, uh, relationship for the, all the donors. I was trying to you know, of course, help with the recruiting and the development and just, just was spinning my wheels going in a lot of different directions and uh, just realized, you know, I just really just need to focus on recruiting and player development. I, I can't, you know, keep going in a million different directions, trying to do every little thing to, uh, you know, raise money for locker room or something like this. And it was, uh, that that was probably, you know, one area where, just tried to simplify because we were struggling uh, and just simplify and just get focused on a couple of things and do those things really well. And in turn, it, it helped our program. And, um, and then those other things just kind of fell into place. Um, so, yeah, the simplification of that was probably to answer your question of just trying not to do too much, uh, especially when taking a new position. That's a great answer. When, like when you, uh, go and recruit kids, and now you're, you know, you're the head man at Michigan. You, you're looked at as one of the best coaches in the country now. Um, when you're recruiting kids, what, what are the main things that you're looking for in these players? So there's going to be a lot of kids that are listening to this with their parents. What could be some information that you, you could give them that would be important for their recruiting process? Sure. Well, that's a – as you know, I mean, you and I have spent a lot of years uh, sitting behind home plate at the area code games and, you know, all all pro scouts, all college coaches, you know, we're, we're we engage in this gigantic filter. It's this it's this huge filtering process where, you know, a major league team has has 20 picks or 40 picks, depending on the year. And a, a college coach uh, may have 15 you know, 15 guys that he's going to sign in his recruiting class, but the the country's massive and there's thousands of players. And so I would tell the players that don't ever, don't ever be one of the kids that, you know, where you get filtered out for something that you can control and get crossed off because your grades are bad or because you don't hustle or uh, because for whatever reason, that's completely within your control. Of course, you're going to have good days and bad days on the field, uh, that's part of it, but I think as a college coach, when 
you know, we're at an academic school. And if, if a kid's got poor grades, it doesn't matter how good he is. He's crossed off the list before I, I don't even need to watch him. Uh, and so I, I, ju- I would just say that, you know, the, the more opportunities you can create for yourself is a byproduct of, of being a good student, of playing the game hard, of hustling, of, you know, you're going to, obviously, if, if people are there to watch you or if you're on a good travel team or if you're at a, a good showcase, you, you're obviously good. And you just don't ever want to do anything that you're going to get crossed off somebody's list because that's a lot of times that's what college coaches and scouts are doing anyways uh, as they're determining when they're they're reaching the, the very top of who they're going to sign or who they're going to draft. Uh, the, the, the margin is razor thin. And um, as we collect information, you just want as much of that information to be as positive as possible. How hard is it to recruit to a college that would you would consider a cold-weather college? I mean, what are the battles that you have at University of Michigan? Um, you know, obviously, you've, you've been in the NCAA. You're a runner-up in 2019. You've, you've almost been to that uh, plateau. What, what have been the toughest things for you at the University of Michigan in recruiting? Well, you know, it is, it is cold, and it's, it's bone-chilling cold in the winter, and we don't hide from it. Uh, you know, we even put a huge graphic in, on the inside of our stadium that says you'll never get hot if you don't know the cold. And I think that's been the one, the biggest transformation is the, the cold doesn't stop us. And there may be some kids that say, I don't want to go play in the cold. And that's fine. Don't go play in the cold. Uh, but there's parts of a baseball season where it's going to be cold. And we're fortunate that it doesn't stop us. We have great indoor training facilities. We have great opportunities to continue player development. There's, there's nothing that, that hinders us from a player development standpoint or an opportunity to compete, uh, you know, at a high level. So, uh, yeah, we just we, we embrace the cold. We think it makes us tougher, and we certainly don't hide from it. But that's certainly a common thread that comes up a lot. Uh, as we recruit high level players and, and it's real, you know, that that's a real thing. And, and we certainly understand it, but we're very appreciative of the kids who do say yes, that do come to us from, from warmer climates than the Midwest uh, that embrace it with us. How do you, sorry, I'm trying to push my microphone off and it got stuck. Um, you know, obviously you go, I'm sure, to the best events in the country where, you know, you can see a lot of talent at one at one spot. Besides ability, Coach, what are the qualities and players that separate average from good or excellent? What, what are the things that you look for when you go out and watch a player? Well, you know, not everybody's a finished product, uh, you know, and so I think there's there's different areas that you can look for growth and projection. And so, you know, n- not everybody's going to have all five of their tools just totally, you know, maxed out. And so I think as a, as a coach, when you go to these places where there are a collection of good players, then you, you, you start to you start to try to predict what is this kid going to look like? 15 pounds from now when he's had a couple more birthdays uh or is there any reason why this kid is not going to be on this this progression of development uh because uh, you know you're looking for how hard he plays and how hard he works and talk to the people that know him and knows the leadership and in character traits because that that would give you the answer that man this kid's gonna he's going to keep the pedal down and he is going to be one of those kids that pushes himself and has the discipline and the routine to continue to get better. And if you look at his body and he's got some room for growth or maybe he's got some speed or there are some tools that you see that have some projection, you know, once you start putting all these puzzle pieces together, that's really what it is, Butch. And and you, you and I have discussed this in the past. It's, you know, recruiting, scouting, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of different puzzle pieces. The, the, the picture is never just clear in front of you, or maybe rarely it is. And you, you know, you've got something really special, but usually you're trying to pull these pieces together and you're trying to figure out what the picture looks like. Uh, and as many, many of those pieces as you can put together, 
then uh, then the better you feel about the decision. Coach, with the onslaught of social media, um, how useful is social media to your staff? I mean, do you do you guys follow kids through social media? Where is it, it good? Where is it a distraction? Where do you believe in it? Where do you not believe in it at? Well, I, I had to add a Twitter account for this call, Butch, so that tells you where I'm at. Um, but uh, no, it, it is. I, I personally canceled all my social media in 2020. Um, I just got sick of it, got sick of the politics, got sick of all the, all the BS and, and said, I, you know, threw my hands up. Uh, I do log on and I'll look at a player. I'll look at, you know, I'll look at something from a development standpoint. I'll look at a recruiting site. I'll look at, you know, uh, something re- regarding college baseball or something regarding major league baseball. There, there's certainly, there's times where, um, we look and when we're recruiting a kid, we always look and we always, uh, we always check and see, cause you know, it's a glimpse. It's one of those puzzle pieces, you know, what is, what is this guy, you know, what is he all about? What, you know, not, not, not that we're digging and looking for something bad. We're just trying to put the pieces together and figure out, is he a personality fit and a culture fit for the program? Um, so I think it is important. So I, 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 where you're going, I think with this is kids just need to be aware that, you know, once you put something out there, it's out there for the world to see. So, you know, you better make sure it's representative of, of what you want for all time and for your family and for your school and for your, your community and et cetera. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a risky space to be in, uh, especially when you, you're not being responsible with it. But, I think most kids know that by now, but if they don't, they, you know, they, there's not too many times they can hear it. You know, that's, that's exactly where I was going with it with you, because we have a lot of people that ask Walter or myself, um, you know, can it, what we put on Twitter, can it be a turnoff to coaches? So that's kind of what I wanted to ask you. When you look at that stuff, is there things that, are really a turnoff and what would those things that would be a turnoff to you seeing through social media? Well, obviously anything that, you know, just violated just, you know, being a good human being. Um, but I think more, more often than not, you know, the one thing that we try to do and I, and I know I speak for a lot of college programs is you're, you're, you're trying to take the target off of yourself and, it's hard when kids feel like they, and they do, they, they need to self promote sometimes to feel like they're getting they're do they're exhausting all options to get recruited. But the one thing that's going to happen when they get to that college campus is a coach like me is going to say, you know, nobody wants to hear you talk about yourself. Nobody cares. And we're trying to build this whole thing about being a good teammate. And you, we want you to, invest more time in the guy to your left and the guy to your right and being a good teammate and loving, loving the team more than you love your individual role. Uh, and that's, you know, that's college baseball and, uh, especially the, the good programs that have that camaraderie and that chemistry and, you know, so much more than, than maybe just some statistics, but, uh, it's tough because social media is a status symbol now with a lot of kids. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sign of wealth when you can get a lot of likes and followers and, and, you know, it's, it's this gigantic comparison tool where, you know, kids feel like they're missing out if they're not doing what so-and-so's doing. And so it's tough and I get it. Um, but it's, you know, I, wouldn't want to see anyone to answer your question. Wouldn't want to see anything that, um, you know, was extremely negative and certainly wouldn't want to see a kid that, uh, you know, that, uh, it, there's so much self-promotion that it crosses that line of, you know, trying to get recruited to just flat out looks like he, he, you know, this kid's going to be all about himself if he gets to your program and, you know, it's going to be all about him and it's going to be really hard to put the team ahead of himself. I think there's, there's got to be a blend there. There's got to be a line, but that, that would be off the top of my head, what I would go to. I think that's the best explanation somebody's given me on that. I think that was fantastic information for family. So thank you 
the self-promotion part uh, is selfishness. So that was, that was great. Let me, let me ask you this about your teams that have been really successful. What, what's been the commonality in those teams? Ooh, good question. What well, I think it's another combination, another combination of, of physical talent. We've had some really physically talented kids, but they, there was also a talent for the leadership within the group. Some of our best teams also had our best leaders, uh, had our best, um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. They just they just liked each other. The care level of the group was extremely high. They hung out a lot off the field. Uh, there was just a really – it was almost like the chemistry – the chemistry grade of the team was as high as the, the physical tools uh, of some of those players. And it, when, you, when you can combine that, you truly do feel like you got a bunch of good players pulling the rope and – one direction and they're generally invested and they generally uh, genuinely care for what each other are doing. Um, you know, that another way I would say it is when your best players are also your hardest workers and your vocal leaders, not just, you know, lead by example because, you know, they're just doing their work and doing what they do, but they actually are vocal and they, they, put their arm around other guys and show them the ropes and show them their routine and how they do things uh, that those have probably been our best teams when our best players are our hardest workers and our vocal leaders. Do you think a, a, a good leader in your opinion can be vulnerable? Oh, they have to be. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think it, it absolutely goes, goes hand in hand. Um, there's just a level of trust that when it, when a good leader um, shares some of his experiences or times where, you know, he had fear or failure or didn't have success or some of the things that he was going through. Um, absolutely. It, it, it's a conversation starter. It's a door opener into a relationship with another player uh, absolutely. I think the good leaders have to do that. You, you as a, you know, really a guy that's got great personality, who's really got good teaching ability. What, what, where do you show your vulnerability to your players and where they feel like, man, this guy's a great guy to play for. He, he's our leader and they'll just follow you down any path. What are the things that you do that you think are important that you show your players who you are? Well, I, I, I don't, I'm comfortable in my own skin, Butch. I, I don't try to be fake tough or be an imposter. I mean, the, my, our players, we, we fully integrate our, our family into the team and the team into our family. So my players see me as a husband and they see me as a father. And, you know, I tell them, you know, the areas that I've, I've, I've screwed up and, um, you know, especially when it comes to, to baseball and just, uh, you know, some decisions we'll go over when we're going over um, the game or, or training sessions and, and I'll let them know I should have done this or should have done that and I could have been better there or whatever. And, you know, just just honest and and open and, you know, they, they see me wearing a lot of different hats, not just the coaching hat. So I think all of those things um, – you know, can show and demonstrate vulnerability, but it's, it's, uh, the biggest thing is just, you know, not always standing up there and, and, you know, have to be right and win the argument, you know, just being able to have an open door policy where kids can come in and, and, uh, you know, have a conversation and talk and, and share what, what's on their mind. Let me ask you a question. I had Spencer Torkelson as a player when he was young, when you and he's, you know, uh, for the first time in his career, really, you know, I'm struggling a little bit. When you get a kid that comes to your program that's always been a big time player and he hits his first wall and is trying to climb back up that hill, what do you do to help your players that are struggling? Sure. Well, and at, at our level, that's everyone at some point 
you know, and we, we talk about this, this is usually like the whole month of October for us in the fall where we really go into and introduce and spend a lot of time on the mental game of baseball, uh, specifically so that they have, uh, some skills, some mental skills and a tool set for, you know, when, when the crap hits the fan, cause it's, it's going to hit the fan and we don't, you know, scouts don't scout players that aren't, aren't talented. College coaches aren't recruiting players that aren't gifted. It, if, if the players weren't any good, they wouldn't be in these programs. So eventually you reach a level, whatever that level is, it could be a kid from JV to varsity, or it could be a great player in high school that's going to college, could be a college player going to pro. At some point, uh, you're going to really struggle and face adversity. So for us, we first we try to hit it head on and uh and and really help them with the tools that help them down regulate that slow the game down so a lot of breathing and visualization and self-talk exercises first they have to first understand and have awareness that the game is speeding up on them so we we uh we take a lot of of Ken Ravise's great work from Heads Up Baseball and use that internal traffic light system of green, yellow, and red and you know, and just try to arm them with some resources of what to do when they realize that things are moving a little bit fast and their mind is starting to race and their breathing is getting really shallow and then we practice those things over and over and over and over again. That's great stuff. Let me ask you this, Coach. How do you... You know, these these families are always trying to figure out ways how and who they need to talk to and how they can get a hold of you. What is the best way for a player to become exposed to you? Is it through camps, email, uh, somebody, you know, that coaches them calling you? What What's the best way for you guys to reach these players? Uh, great question. I mean, this is, this is one of – this is this is a tough one because, you know, I don't want to ever just say just come to camp. I mean, that sounds, you know, self-promoting of our camps. Um, and and I get a bunch of emails a day and, and can't respond to all of them and, and don't just delegate them off to someone who's just going to send them a camp invite. Um, so it's tough. And I think what, what kids, if they really want to get genuine interest and in not just your your canned response email or your canned camp invite you know i think they need somebody that's that's trustworthy somebody who's been around the block somebody like a coach or a scout or or somebody who's who's got a little cachet in the industry that could reach out on their behalf because there's a million and one of these services that are some of them second rate that again a lot of them might end up in a spam folder or junk email and you know, but when you get that human, con- you know, connection, uh, those, those, I would much prefer to talk to somebody on the phone than just get some random email from a scouting service. Um, I would rather somebody pick up the phone and say, I've got this player. These are his skills. This is where he's going to be this summer. If you get a chance to take a look at him, he's worth your time. And I, I'd say that's probably the the best way to do it if you want genuine follow-up. If you just want to get on, a, on an email list, then then keep sending the emails. Coach, let me ask you this. When, you, when you're looking at your program and you're, you know, obviously you're trying to build the best program in the country, get back to, to Omaha, what is the percentage of player do you like? Do you like the high school kid? Do you like the JC kid? Are you looking at the transfer portal? What are you What are you doing to improve your program every year? Sure. Well, we we a hundred percent are going to build our program with the high school player and develop them, and then we are a hundred percent gonna plug the gaps and fill the holes with the transfer player. And the transfer player, I would say we've we've gone more he- now that now that the uh, one-time transfer rule is permissible. We have leaned more on the grad transfer than we have the JC player. Where I'd say in years past, before the transfer 
rule was allowed, we would probably sign uh, mostly high school kids, 10 or 12 high school kids per year, and maybe have one or two junior college players. And now, uh, not that we don't take junior college players, uh, because we're, we're still obviously looking for some of those kids. I was a junior college player. There's a lot of good players in junior college. But when you have the opportunity, especially as a grad transfer, an older kid that can be a, a plug-and-play and an instant gap filler, hole, hole plugger, um, those guys are pretty attractive. But the majority of our recruiting class uh, is still going to be the high school player. Those are the guys that um, are going to be the foundation of our program. And then we'll sprinkle in the transfers as we need to. Coach, let's talk about hitting a little bit. When you when you go out and you obviously you got to score runs to win and you got to pitch and throw strikes to, to win. But when you're looking at a hitter, that a guy that you might want to recruit and get for your program, what are the qualities and hitters that you're looking for? Well, I, I look at if I'm just going to a showcase and I'm just or I'm just going to a tournament, I, I want to see a kid consistently hit the ball hard. I want to see him fire his barrel and be on the barrel and around a BP. I don't want to see him foul off three balls or miss hit three balls and then hits one good and one kind of good. The kid that can just consistently square the ball up and hit it hard um, is going to stand out to me. The other thing is, you know, we, we've done all the research. We have all the gadgets. We have all the tech, and it's great. But these kids that are hitting these medium fly balls because they're trying to hit the ball in the air doesn't work. It doesn't work at any level. Hit the ball hard first, and once you can hit the ball 95 miles an hour or harder, then go ahead and try to lift it. But these, you know, launch angle, trying to chili dip the ball before you have the body strength and the ability to hit it hard doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I like guys who hit it hard. I like seeing the ball jump off the bat. And we know we can make the tweaks where we can help these kids elevate the ball and get it in the air. But first, hit it hard. Second, hit it hard often. That's great stuff. You you know, with the with analytics, you just talked about it, launch angle and uh, what are the important analytics for you guys? If you, you know, you see a guy one time maybe, and obviously if you're going to take a guy, you're going to see him more than that. But if you see a guy one time and he catches your eye right away, what analytics are important to you in what you guys are trying to do at Michigan? Um, you mean like what statistics am I going to really bear down on? Yeah, like some, you know, like some people. I sent a, a thing out a couple weeks ago to coaches, and like average exit velocity, not you know, not just high or low, but what the average exit velocity was. You know how, like you're talking about barreling it up consistently, and that kind of stuff was really important to some people. Others people, it was a bat speed. You know that kind of stuff. What? Like for yeah. you, you know, you being a good hitting coach, what, what are the things that you really are, are important to you from an analytic standpoint? Sure. Well, we, you know, we have, I'll give, give you under the hood stuff. We, we have uh, some key performance indicators for our offense, and one of them is plate decisions. So basically, do you swing at strikes and take balls? Um, so decision-making analytics, we're, we're big into those. And maybe an easy stat to look at with a kid is it's just his walk to strike out if, and if I don't have access to his track man data. Uh, another one is um, quality contact. And so, again, how hard can you hit it? We're looking at engine size of, of these kids. We want to see how hard they can hit it. And one of the drivers of that is bat speed. Uh, and so if we have blast metrics or any swing sensor metrics, you know, I do like to see uh, bat speed, pure bat speed, because I think that can be a great indicator of exit below. Uh, and I like seeing exit below. I like seeing how hard they can hit it. Uh, and then the other one is consistent contact. Again, kind of going back to hit it hard, hit it hard often. Uh, but we want to see how accurate they are when they fire their barrel. And, uh, we, you know, we'll look at you know, hard hit percentages and um, compare that with their decision-making skills and and see 
what their max exit below is, their peak exit below, and then their hard hit percentage really is, you know, how often can they be within 10% of their peak? Um, so, uh, you know, those are maybe some advanced stuff that we look at, but, you know, r- really simply, if I don't have access to that, I'll look at a kid's plus minus, I'll look at his OPS, uh, and, you know, try to, try to figure it out. How hard is it for a high school kid that's coming in as a freshman to play from a strength standpoint? What, where, where do you see most of the deficiencies in freshmen when they're coming in to being able to play every day for for anybody actually it's really hard it's really hard especially today where in the in the post-covid world everybody's old in college baseball because everybody's been given a, a bonus year um so you look at just around college baseball this year and the physicality of the teams uh you've got you've got hitters that are just you know they're smashing balls i mean home run numbers have to be it just it seems like just the optics of it just looking around the country and looking at our own team there's a a lot of older hitters that are just just very advanced that are hitting the ball very hard and hitting the ball for a lot of power so for a uh you know 17 18 year old kid coming in and you've got 24 year old men on the roster um you know, it, 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 the the easy analogy, and I say this to all of our freshmen coming in, is you know, hey, you guys were all just seniors in in high school, right? Well, were were you ever going to let some freshman coming in who just graduated eighth grade take your spot? And of course, they say no, and say, well, that's how it is here. Uh, so it's going to be really, really hard. The timing has to be right. There has to be a position open. Um, but, you know, these kids that have been in a college program and been in a college weight room for two, three, four years, um, their bodies are just different. So you see it initially from a strength standpoint, and then you see it from a, a durability standpoint. You know, a lot of freshmen will hit the wall uh, come May where they're just they've just they've played a whole lot more baseball than they've ever played before. And uh, if they're not built up for that, that's an adjustment too. And we've, we've seen that in the past as well. Let's talk about pitching a little bit uh, before we go to some other questions. What, what are the things when you go out and, you know, looking at pitchers and you, you know, you're trying to break them down. This guy's got a potential to be a starter for us. This guy's probably going to be a reliever, but what are, what are the things that you're looking for and you want your staff to look for when you're going out to see guys, that may pitch for the Wolverines. Yeah, I mean, again, it gets back to a foundation, and ours is right now stuff, command, control, and mental game. And so for stuff is, you know, it's either we're talking – if we're talking about stuff, we're either talking about your velocity or the movement of your pitch. Um, And and so when we go out and recruit, um, we – that's what we're seeing is – if we're just evaluating your stuff, you know, what, what are, what are the speeds with which you're throwing? And then how do those pitches move? And I don't care how good the stuff is. If you can't command it, it's going to be really hard to pitch in college. And so for command, it's all about location and can you throw the ball where you want to? And this is uh, not only in games, but in bullpens in catch play. Uh, And so we, we, take a look at all of that in a from a recruiting standpoint you know I'll, if a guy's you know walks the house in a showcase in a tournament or he's always three ball counts on everybody you know what's who's to say that that's not gonna it's all of a sudden gonna you know continue to improve a, a lot of times some of our best pitchers that we've had they had command before they had stuff because they didn't have the velo and they didn't have their pitches doing what they wanted to do, but they could throw it where they wanted to. They, they were able to command their pitches. And then as they had more birthdays and as they got stronger and as they developed physically, their stuff started to really play up because they were able to command it. And then when we talk about control, we talk about controlling the game you know control the the tempo with which you pitch the the ability to hold runners you know and be quick to the plate to be able to field your position uh all of those things um and then mental game is you know when 
you know, can you, can you stay poised? Can you slow the game down? Uh, so it's, it's all of those rolled into one. We're evaluating all of those things uh, from a recruiting standpoint. But if you ask me to, to, to prioritize it um, in a world where everybody's chasing velocity, just make sure, make sure that uh, these guys are able to commit, throw the ball where they want to be able to throw strikes because it's going to be really hard to advance levels or pitch in college if you're walking everybody or spraying the ball nonstop. What, Coach, what do you think is projectable? When you go see a pitcher, are you looking at, you know, body tempo? Are you looking at athleticism? Are you looking at hand speed? Are you looking at arm slots? I mean, what, what are the things that are projectable for you when you're recruiting a guy? I like fast movers, Butch, and I, we talk about that a lot on our staff, too. I mean, we, we like guys that are twitchy. So, yeah, I like quick arms, like quick bodies, twitchy bodies. Um, you know, we, ultimately, we like athletes over everything. So, you know, seeing a, seeing a kid that has grown up playing lots of sports and has some twitch to him and some fast twitch fibers to him, um, if, he's, if he's tall and, and you can tell that – you know, man, this guy's got room on his body to add more size and strength and his body's moving fast. I mean, those are the guys that seem to add velocity. They've got a quick arm, but maybe they're just they're just a little bit lean, but they're athletic. Uh yeah, for sure. We'll look at that. Um and and a, a lot of this, I haven't used this word yet with you on this on this thing, but watching how these kids compete. Man, some somewhere along the way, it's like competing has has been deprioritized, and it is so important, so important at the collegiate level, at any level, and uh, you know, watching how they compete, not just evaluating their stuff, is really critical. It's a, it's you know, it's equally as important as anything that they're doing, throwing the baseball or hitting the baseball. How important is it for a player? Because I don't think all players have instincts, but I think you can teach them game awareness. How how important is that for you when you go watch a player? Well, the ones who have it really stand out. You know, I, th- I think everyone would agree with that. When, when you see a kid that, um, you know, just is looking for uh, heads-up baseball plays and um, – Hey, there's so many, it's, it's all the little things too. It's just the little, the little nuances that if you're really watching the game and paying attention that, that some kids just have, uh, or just the way that they're talking and communicating on the field and, uh, just the way they're moving around and they're able to kind of direct traffic and take control and show some leadership skills. They're not just out there, you know, in this robotic, these movement patterns where they're, you know, doing their Twitter swing or delivery, uh, but they're out there just, you know, they're out there competing and they're, they, those are, those are, yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, uh, we look for all of those and they really stand out when you see them. Coach, when you, when you go and see players and you have your staff out, um, you know, with the amount of people that are on these and listen to these, you know, being the kids that are going through the process of recruiting, what would you tell these families are no goes like that? What things they do at the park, like in California here in Northern Cal last week, we had uh, a parent attacking umpire again, um, you know, which is totally horse shit. And um, I mean, what are the things that, that you see, that are really like turnoffs to you that will make you just turn your back and walk away from a good player. Sure. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> fighting, fighting the umpire definitely is on the top of the list. Um, but just the, the obnoxious parent behavior, you know, it, I, for me personally, it's a turnoff when I talk to a kid or, the parents and one of the first things they bring up is how much they don't like the high school program. They don't like the high school coach. They don't like the summer program. And it's this default to, to bashing uh, whatever program that he's involved in. I just, I don't think that's a good look. I don't, you know, cause as a college coach, you just assume that's the same thing that's going to happen when they're in our program. 
uh, they're going to find, you know, they're going to find all the thorns in, in a bed of roses. And, uh, you know, and even if it's validated and it's true, just, just put those in your back pocket. We don't, we don't need to hear those, you know, conversation number one, stuff like that will eventually come out. And if it comes out, it comes out, but you don't need to lead with that. Uh, and then, you know, and then just, I mean, everyone, everyone knows who the obnoxious fans are because you, you can hear them and you, you know what they're saying. And when they're parents of kids, again, you just assume that that's the parental behavior that's going to happen in your stadium. And do you really want that? Um, so th- those would just be a couple of examples. You know, Coach, I'm a huge Coach Corbin fan, as I know you are. What What are some of the qualities that you feel like? Because I listen to you and I can hear a lot of Coach Corbin in you, and I know you're your own guy. But what were some of the qualities that you took from being around him and that you've used yourself that have, has made you the winning guy that you are? He is the, he is the, well, I'll just tell you this. I think he's the best coach in the country in any sport. And the reason I think that is because he has, he has mastered people development and he understands that, you know, baseball is super important and a lot of his players have a chance to make a living doing it, but there's still going to be successful community leaders and business leaders and husbands and fathers a lot longer than they're going to be baseball players, even if they have a major league career. And he invests a ton of time. And this is one of my biggest takeaways of being around him in developing the total person and teaching them the, intangible skills and the character traits and the leadership traits of what it takes to be successful in life and how to be a good teammate uh, in order to have a really good team, of course, but to be successful in life more importantly. That's a great answer. (laughs) So, so coach Corbin, let me ask you this. When you talk about um, a good teammate, what it, it, what is a good teammate to you in the whole package? Um, wow. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, a good teammate, you've got, you've got somebody that pushes you on one side, but then has your back on the other. Uh, he's an encourager, uh, of you. Uh, but also knows how to start a fire, um, holds you accountable, uh, will tell you something that maybe is unpopular, not afraid of confrontation sometimes, uh, but gen- there's a genuine care for you, like you are part of his family uh, because they associate the team as an extended family, and they're looking at, the the teammate as not just somebody that they went to school with for three or four years, but somebody that they're going to know for the rest of their life and have a relationship with for the rest of their life. And then they work on that on a daily basis of building something that's life lasting, not just the thing they did while they went to college. Coach, what, let me ask you this. Being, you know, you, you've been in the championship game in Omaha. What is it like to be a coach going to Omaha for the first time leading this program? Oh, uh, wow. Um, it, it was it was Christmas morning, Butch. Um, you know, I have young kids and. Uh, there's nothing better than watching them tear open their presents. You know, Santa came and, and it's the, they saw those same expressions on their faces. Um, when we clinched to go to Omaha and then all the way through. And that's just what you're, you're chasing as, as a coach, you're, you're chasing those celebratory moments because those are, those are those are going to be permanently ingrained in your in your brain and there's not a day that goes by I've talked to all those 
former players all the time. Chris Fetter, the Detroit Tigers pitching coach, who was a, our pitching coach at Michigan on that team. He's on your call right now. I mean, it, it's just it just forms something that nobody can ever take away, and it's just life lasting. But it it's an experience that um, it just it just signifies kind of what what this ride is all about. You're you're making memories that'll last a lifetime, and uh, and they're absolutely priceless. Coach, you're not every year going to have great years. I'm obviously every year you want to have a great year and you want to be in Omaha, but when you don't have that kind of team and you're not clicking the way that you could, you visualize your team clicking. How do you respond to that as the, as the head guy? How do you, you know, take your players and be realistic with them, but also try to keep them moving forward and positive. Sure. And we've, we've experienced a little bit of that this year as well, Butch. We've, uh, you know, we've, we feel like we do have a good team. We just haven't quite uh, performed up to our expectation level. Um, But the thing is, is once you've tasted the mountaintop and you know what it's like to go to Omaha and you've tasted that you're addicted. I don't care what anyone says, you're addicted and you're going to find an ex- you're going to find any solution and you're going to exhaust all options to make sure that you're allowing the players and the team to reach its potential whatever that may be because that's that's truly what how you can measure success is did did the did each player and did the team reach their potential. Um and so <clears throat> I think when you when you when you are addicted to high level success and you have super lofty goals, uh, there there is there is no quit. Uh, there's no give up. Um, you're always you're never out of the fight, and you're just going to find a way. You're going to find you're going to do any tweak and any adjustment, whatever it takes, in order to to help the team and help these individual players. Uh, achieve that success just because you know what it feels like when they do. Let me ask you this question. And cause I know you are very motivated and you know, every year it's, it's Omaha. If I, what if I own the Detroit Tigers and came to you and said, I wanted you to be the next manager of the Tigers. Would that be a tough decision for you or would it be an easy one? But I don't think I fit there. Um, and I, I, you know, we, we're fortunate to have Brandon Inge um, on our staff. And so all the classroom sessions that we do, we start every day in a classroom. And every day these classroom sessions, uh, you know, sometimes they have, they're all baseball related, but most of the time they're not. Most of the time they're a lot of the topics we've discussed tonight, leadership, life skills, character traits, how to be a good teammate. Um, and, uh, and he, he loves it. You know, he says, this is awesome. There's some things here that I think would benefit anyone. He goes, but, uh, you know, you got to understand major leaguers. Cause I asked him, I said, what would any of this, uh, be relevant? And he said, you got to understand major leaguers. They are the Navy seals of, of baseball. And, uh, a lot of them just want you know, to be, you know, given the information because they know what to do. And, uh, and I, I really like the age group of the college player because they're still forming who they are and figuring out what to do. And, uh, to me, that's, that's where I fit is, is helping these guys shape who they're becoming the men that they're going to be. And I, and I love that butch. And, and because of that, um, this is where I'm going to stay. That's awesome that we need people like you leading young men. Um, when you, when you're in a, in a player's house and you're, you're trying, you're competing with Vanderbilt, you're competing with UCLA, you're competing with Oregon state, you know, you're competing with Maryland for a player. How are you going to win that player? You know, I, I think that the way that we've, really settled into doing it here is we just present the strengths of what our program what we have and and i think that's what you should do 
because the reality is, is that kid, he really doesn't have, if he's looking at Vanderbilt and UCLA and, and the other schools you mentioned, he really doesn't have a bad decision. You know, is, the reality is he's probably going to be successful no matter where he goes. And could he like, you know, could he like the weather of UCLA better than the, uh, the weather of Michigan? Or could he like the facilities of this place better than the facilities of that place? Sure, you can, you can, you can absolutely split hairs and you can have your pros and cons list. But I think uh, the best way to go about it is to say this is, these are all the great resources and these are the opportunities that we're going to be able to provide and give that information and build a relationship with the kid to where they feel like they know the the type of program that the coach is running and the type of person that the coach is and allow the families to make the best decision for them. But if you're talking about schools like that, they've got great options. When people look at you, what is the, you know, your players, uh, the, the people that are affected by you, what's the legacy that you want to leave when you're all said and done? What do you want people to say about you? Um, boy, man, you've got some heavy hitting questions tonight. Um, I guess I would say that we built the program that other people wanted to emulate. Uh, and I, you know, I think of, think about Vanderbilt and and coach Corbin, uh, you know, think about Alabama football and Nick Saban. And, you know, there's just some, there's just some programs out there that, you know, they're the mountain that everyone else is climbing. And, uh, and you want to have that program that you've created the model that people are trying to, to, to mimic. I think that would be a great legacy. Walter, before I ask my last question for coach, do you have anything you'd like to ask him tonight? I have a ton of questions for coach package, but, um, I I've, I've enjoyed listening to everything that he's discussed and added this evening and one of the things that i would like those that find their way to this discussion whether it's this evening or or later on a podcast eric you are a visionary i know that as a father and thinking back to top gun on a november day and you watching a eighth grader ninth grader you have this innate ability to see a student athlete and project a student athlete. One of the things that I would love to hear you discuss, because parents in today's world, we're programmed as parents to want to commit as that eighth, ninth grader, that sophomore in high school. And I know everybody's kind of throttling back. And I would love to hear you discuss your thoughts with regard to the entire current recruiting process where you're kind of wanting to take a longer look at the high school student athlete, seeing them compete when the lights are on, the scoreboard is on, et cetera. Um, Because I know with regard to your roots, as a recruiting coordinator and then subsequently as a head coach of Maryland and now in Michigan, how is it, how has it evolved in your world at Michigan with taking the longer look at the student athlete in today's kind of social media world? Well, great, great to talk to you, Walter. Um, That Top Gun event for everyone. That's why I first saw Tyler was he in eighth grade uh, back then? I think he was. Uh, he was in eighth grade, and I still have, for purposes as a dad, your Top Gun report and everything that you graded as far as present versus projectable. It was very Butch Bacala, very pro scout orientated, current and future grades. But uh, I just remember you taking the time to write to Tyler and take the time to mature. Don't worry about today. This is where I see you today, but this is where I can kind of envision you heading. And it was very, um, there was some foreshadowing with regard to not only who Tyler ultimately became, but with regard to fast forwarding in today's world, 
take your time. Enjoy being a high school student athlete. And on the backside of this, your skills are going to, to kind of take you to the level that you aspire to become. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, you, you hit on so many good things there, Walter, but I think to, to summarize that, you know, it kids today, they, they, they have all this information. Uh, they're almost drowning in information. And it has become a, a race to get your commitment out of the way as, as quickly as possible. I mean, think if we made life decisions that way. Think if that's how we proposed and, and got married. And, you know, it's like this is the biggest decision of these kids' life up to this point. And it's, it's got to be the right one. And there's, there's one way to, to make good decisions, and it's getting good information and getting the, all the information that you can. And so being in a rush to, to hurry up and do it just doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. And, and I'm not saying that we don't ever recruit freshmen and sophomores because we have a handful of sophomore commits. And I think we have like two freshman commits and, you know, it, it, we, we are very much in that game as well. Just, just recruiting at a high level I'm just going to tell you, I don't, I don't personally enjoy, I enjoy recruiting very much. I don't, I personally don't enjoy seeing kids feel like they have to rush to make a decision for college before they're ready to make a decision for college. And, uh, the idea of, of committing to a school before you've played one pitch of, of varsity baseball in, in high school, I, I don't know how we got here. Um, but that just that just doesn't seem right at all. Um, and so it's it just what has to be right is everybody's running their race. Everybody's developing at their own pace. Everybody is different. And if it makes sense to a family, if a kid is 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 already physically mature he's you know that it's an in-state kid and he or he has this school picked out and he's gone to camps as a youngster and he just wants to go fine great that's awesome uh but to to feel like these kids need to be in a rush and that they're if they hit their junior year they're all of a sudden late that's just not true it's just not true some of the best players that we've gotten in our recruiting classes are the kids that we've added at the very end of our recruiting class and they've just have been able to mentally, physically, emotionally mature. I mean, to think that we're calling juniors late bloomers, that like that's not a late bloomer. That's a normal bloomer. And uh, but that being said, uh, that's the feeling. The feeling is it's late when you get to junior year or senior year. And I'm just going to tell kids. Uh, it's not too late, and colleges are always looking for great players. And uh, whether you early bloom, late bloom, regular bloom, whatever, uh, they, there's going to be a spot for you. And I, I truly believe that. And Walter said a, a visionary, and I, I, I would, I would agree with that assessment uh, because I'm convinced that there is a spot for everyone, and uh, there is a next level for everyone that that wants it bad enough and is willing to make that commitment to get there that that was fantastic answer and that you i'm i know walter does i know i do what you just gave kids was unbelievable information because they they the kids out there today feel like if they don't have something by their sophomore year they're going to be left at left behind in the game and you just put it in a way that every kid that listened to this tonight will know that I still got reason to work and try to be the best I can be. So thank you. Thank you for that, Eric. Of course. My, my last question for you uh, tonight is this is what I ask everyone that's on this show. And first of all, thank you for, as you said earlier, opening up your hood and, and just telling it like it is. We appreciate that here on this show. And that's what we're looking for. We're just looking for honest answers for the people that want to listen and, you know, listening to great coaches like you, uh, big time is on here tonight. I see him on here. I see other coaches on here. I call Scott, uh, the big time at, uh, Liberty university. Great guy. Great. Coach. Oh, 
General Jackson's on here. All right. <laughs> he is. He is. But my last question for you, and thank you again for coming on with us, is this. If you could give players and families just one bit of advice for their process of what they're going through from, you know, 13 to 18 years old or however long the process is, what would that information and advice be? Oh boy. Okay. Um, one piece of advice for those, for what age did you say? I'm talking 13 to 18, 13 to 18. Youth baseball age. Youth baseball. Okay. Um, first, first piece, I'm going to give two pieces of advice. First piece, I would tell them that there is no downside to being a great athlete. And being a great athlete will open doors for you at the next level. I don't care what your next level is. If you can be an athlete first and not just a baseball only player but play lots of sports even if it's not on a varsity team in your high school but you just are an athlete and you play pickup basketball and you throw the football around and you do whatever hopefully you can play multiple sports but i'm just piece of advice number one is that that will open up doors it will make you versatile it will make you more athletic it will allow you to improvise on a baseball field and do things uh, more easily than kids who only specialize in baseball. Piece of advice number two, there is no downside to being a great student. Being a great student opens up more doors for you academically. It can create scholarship money for you academically to reduce the cost of college. There is zero downside to being a great student. So be an athlete, be a great student, and uh butch thank you for having me on coach you are awesome guys walter and i are going to start doing more uh, you know zoom calls podcasts uh where we actually you can see our faces and see the people that we're talking to uh their faces i want to thank everybody especially coach backage for being on here tonight as you guys could listen just like I listen, this guy's an incredible coach, incredible person, and he's building men that are, are leaders uh, and men that are going to make a difference in people's lives. And that's what we're trying to do here with these Sunday night clinics and Monday night talks, real talks with Walter. So thank you, everybody. I hope you have a great week next week. Coach, good luck in the Big Ten uh, championships. I Thank you, Butch. In, I hope you get to Omaha. Yes, sir. Thank you, Butch. Appreciate right. you having me. All right, guys. Good night, everybody. Eric Nolan Moore. Remember that name. Nolan Moore. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Thank